Thank you, sir. Good morning. We did lose, I know. My, uh, my wife asked my daughter a question. Uh, my daughter's name's Camden. And, um, and she, she, said, uh, she said, Todd, listen to this question I asked uh, Camden. I said, what was it? She said, I asked Camden. Camden, what do you call someone who goes to another country to share the gospel? And my daughter looked at my wife and said, a Christian. And I thought, well, that's wrong. It's a missionary, right? And then I was like, oh my goodness, the younger teaches the older. Because it's so true. Like, like that's just our duty as believers is to be people who take the gospel. And my daughter, prayerfully, she'll grow up knowing, oh, it just is a Christian that you would want to share the gospel wherever you're at. Doing, you know, missions isn't just marginalized to like those who retire early with, with no kids and, and no personality, but it's for, uh, you guys laugh, you know, oh, okay, so I'm not exempt, um, you know, uh, but it's for all believers. We all have a role to play. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 10, verse 5. I know a lot of you guys have this memorized, but for the few who don't, Genesis 10, 5. Genesis chapter 10, verse 5, uh, it says this. It says, it's page 6, by the way. Um, it says, from these, the people spread out, each their own land, each their own language, each their own clan, each their own nations. From these, the people spread out, each their own land, each their own language, each their own clan, each their own nation. Now, Genesis chapter uh, 10, the heading of it is called the Table of the Nations, Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis to Deuteronomy, Moses sits down and he writes out, he says, from these the nations were scattered, each their own land, each their own people, each their own clan, each their own nation. And then beginning in verse 6 all the way to verse 32, the end of the chapter, he will list what's called the table of the nations. Matter of fact, in some of your own Bibles, the heading is the table of the nations. Meticulously, you can count, and you will count 70 nations that God created in Genesis chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10 is where we get the Hittites, the Amalekites, the Ninevites, the Gibeonites, the Israelites, the Canaanites. All the ites flow from Genesis chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10, God creates 70 languages. And then it's almost as if Moses picks up the pen from the paper and says, wait a minute, my reader doesn't know why the nations were scattered. So he turns to Genesis chapter 11 and begins to write. Genesis 11.1, 1, now the whole earth had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain and settled there. They said, come, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So the Lord comes down and strikes their tongues, and you have what's called the Tower of Babel. Genesis 10 and 11 are not in chronological order. Moses will write the table of the nations and then tell you why he scattered them. So, I'm sitting at a coffee shop, and I said, I want to write a one-sentence summary of the Old Testament. What is a one-sentence summary of the Old Testament? And here's what I came up with. Out of all the nations, out of all the nations, God chose one nation to reach all the nations. Out of all the nations, God chose one nation to reach all the nations. That's the best one-sentence summary I could come up with, because when you think about the, the Old Testament Scriptures, Genesis chapter 10, God looks down, and out of the 70 nations created in Genesis 10, He picks one nation, the Israelites, and the reason He picked the Israelites was that so He would bless them so that all the other 69 nations would be blessed. 
If you had zero knowledge of the Bible and you picked this book up and you begin to read it and you come to Genesis chapter 10, you would think, oh, I know every book of the Bible is going to be about a different nation. So you have a book about the Canaanites, a book about the Gibeonites, a book about the Hittites, a book about the... No. Instead, what you realize is the first 800 pages of the Bible is about one nation known as the Israelites. I mean, think about it. The holiest book on the planet and the first 806 pages have to do with one nation. And this nation never numbered more than 3 million people. It was insignificant. It was small and nobody cared about it. But when you pick up the Bible, you read about Abraham in Genesis 12, Isaac in Genesis 26, Jacob in Genesis 28, Joseph in Genesis 35. You read about, you read about the laws and the priests. You read about Exodus and the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt. You read about Joshua and them going in to, the, to, to drive out the 31 kings. You, you, re, you read about the Jehoshaphat. Who cares about Jehoshaphat? You read about King Asa. Who cares? You read about them going into exile, out of exile, into exile, out of exile. Then you get to the blank page. And you're like 806 pages of the holiest book on the planet revolve around one nation. Why? Why did God design it that way? Out of all the nations, He chose one nation to bless all the nations. He was raising a nation up that He would bless to extend his blessing to the nations. Now, if you wanted to diagram this using circles, here's how you would do it, okay? You're like, oh my goodness, this is epic. I know, it's incredible, isn't it? God blessing Israel to bless the nations. You're like, how did he do this graph? I don't know. God blessing Israel to bless the nations. God blessing Israel to bless the nations. This is what you're going to see. This is the Old Testament 101 theology of missions. I thought missions began in Matthew that like Jesus you know, almost forgot. I had no idea in Genesis 10, God was beginning his, mo- his mission. God blessing Israel to bless the nations. Genesis 10 and 11, the scattering of the nations. God chooses one nation, the Israelites, Genesis chapter 12. And we read Genesis 12, 1 through 4. It says this. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I'm going to make you a great nation. He's going to make them Israel. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great, Israel. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. But here it is. All peoples on earth to be blessed through you. The reason I am blessing you, Abraham, who eventually becomes the nation of Israel, I'm going to bless you so that all nations, all peoples will be blessed through you. Abraham, your son Isaac, Genesis 26, says this. Isaac, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Genesis 28, Jacob, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. Why? Here it is. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. We're not even out of Genesis yet, and already you see God blessing Israel to bless the nations. Eventually, Jacob's name will be changed to Israel. God blessing Israel to bless the nations. God blessing Israel to bless the nations. God blessing Israel to bless the nations. Moses, take 
the people of Israel to Mount Sinai. Take him to the base of the mountain. You and Aaron come up and listen to what God says to Moses in Exodus 19, 3 through 6. He says this, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you're to say to the house of Jacob. This is what you're to tell the people. You have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings, and I brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant out of all the nations, I'm setting my affections on you. I own the cattle on a thousand hills, but I'm choosing you. Out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. The whole earth is mine, but Israel, you will be a kingdom of priests. And notice this word, priest. It's the first time it's used, and God says, Israel, you are my nation of priests. You kind of go, well, what does that mean? Go to any Catholic church, knock on the door, and just talk to the priest and ask the priest, excuse me, sir, what is it that you do? And the priest is going to say, oh, well, I'm a priest. I, I mediate. That's what the word means. So the common person who doesn't know God comes to me and asks questions about God. I go to God, and God speaks to me, and I talk to the common person. I'm a go-between. God says in this passage, Israel, you are my nation of priests. The other nations will come to you for blessing. They will come to you to know me. I'm going to pour out my blessings on you. You are my go-between. God blessing Israel to bless the nations. And God blesses Israel. He gives them all these different blessings. He gives them the sacrifices. He gives them the feast. He gives them the Sabbath rest. He gives them his presence. He gives them everything under the Godhead to be blessed. He gives them the temple. Matter of fact, when Solomon dedicates the temple, listen to what Solomon says in 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8 is called the prayer of dedication. This is a section of the prayer. And listen to what Solomon says here. Solomon says this, as for the foreigner, the nation of Israel is listening, okay? And he's praying, as for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for men will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and he prays towards this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and do whatever the foreigner asks of you. And the entire nation of Israel became very uncomfortable as of this point. Notice the first line, as for the foreigner. Wait a minute. When the foreigner comes from a distant land, when the Philistines, our enemy, come from a distant land, you want them to have access to our temple to pray? What if whatever they pray, what if we don't like it? But look what he says, so that, look at that last line, so that the earth may know your name and fear you. As I ponder this passage, the closest equivalent that I can get to really show the uh, animosity towards this would be, what what if a a pastor stood up on Sunday morning and said, Lord, I just pray that every Muslim would come to this church and and that whatever they would ask and pray for, that you would respond. We'd be like, "Uh, what if we don't like what they pray? And so that's probably the closest regarding tension. Solomon knew God blessed Israel to bless the nations. Where did he learn this from? He learned this from his father, David. Listen to this psalm in Psalm 67, verse 1 and 2. 
And this is the way an Israelite heard it, okay? This was not written to us. Its intended audience was a Davidic psalm written to Israel. Now, we come to it and we glean from it, but here's the way the original audience heard it. May God be gracious to us, Israel. Bless us, Israel. Make his face shine upon us, Israel. But it's not for us, Israel, so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. God blessing Israel to bless the nations. God blessing Israel to bless the nations. But here's what happened. The more the nation of Israel was blessed by God, the more disobedient they became, falling in love instead with the blessing instead of the blesser. It's a natural progression of life, isn't it? That the more you have, the harder it is to obey because you're like, oh man, I got all this stuff. And so we have entire prophets who show us this event. Think about the prophet Jonah the prophet Jonah. God tells Jonah, the book of Jonah is only four chapters, okay? You can read it in about 12 minutes. And, and, and the book of Jonah, if you just did a study of the book of Jonah, okay, and you just took a pencil and you're like, okay, I'm going to read the book of Jonah and I'm going to circle everything in the book of Jonah that obeys God. Everything in the book of Jonah that obeys God, I'm going to circle it. So you're like, okay, the first thing that obeys God is the storm as it causes waves. The second thing that obeys God is the sailors as they're like, why is there a storm? And so God tells them to cast lots. The third thing that obeys God are the lots as they fall on Jonah. The next thing that obeys God is the sailors as they throw Jonah overboard. The next thing that obeys God is the storm as it is calmed. The next thing that obeys God in the book of Jonah is the, the fish that swallows Jonah. The next thing that obeys God in the book of Jonah is the, is the fish as it births Jonah back up on the shore. The next thing that obeys God in the book of Jonah are the Ninevites as they hear the message and repent. The next thing that obeys God in the book of Jonah is the vine that grows up to provide shade for the prophet Jonah. The next thing that obeys God in the book of Jonah is the worm that eats the vine. And so you go, wow, everything in the book of Jonah obeyed Jonah, or obeyed God, right? Everything in the book of Jonah obeyed God except for the person who knew the Bible the best. If you took a, if you took a, a vote on the boat, who, will, who knows the Bible the best? Who wins? If you took a vote in Israel during the prophet Jonah's time, who knew the Bible the best? Jonah would win. He was the prophet of his day. He knew it. But what did he know? God is gracious and merciful, and I have received the blessing, and I do not want to distribute it to people who don't deserve it because there's a limited amount of blessing, and I determine who gets it, and so they do not deserve it. And so instead of going to Iraq and sharing the gospel with the Ninevites, I'm going to sail to Malaga, Spain, which is the opposite direction. And that's what happens. God blesses us, right? And we go, oh, you know what? These kids of mine are incredible. They don't deserve to be buried on the mission field forgotten. I want him to get a prestigious degree and go make a name for himself. You know what? I've worked so hard for this money called retirement that I just don't, I'm not going to give it in the offering. No. I'm going to, you know, choose to, to move to Yuma, Arizona and live. 
you know. Oh, man, you know this? I've just worked so hard to build my business, and so, man, that's kind of my new God now. I go to church, and I'm in Sunday school, so I'm okay. And what we do is we take these blessings of God, and we go, oh, you know what? Thank you, Lord. Now it's mine, and I'll determine where I give it and who I give it to. So these are my kids, and so, no, they're not going to do missions. That's, that's, That's beneath them. You know, no, I'm not going to let them go to Africa. Why would I do that? No, these are, this is my money. No. And we take on the form of Jonah. If you want the blessing of salvation but refuse the responsibility to see the nations receive it, your spiritual father in the faith is Jonah. How does the Old Testament finish with how the nation of Israel did at passing on their blessings? Well, let's just look. Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36, it says this, wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. For it was said to them, these are the Lord's people, and yet they had to leave his land. I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations where they have gone. By the time you get to the end of the Old Testament, the nation of Israel had taken the blessing, lifted it up as the most important thing, and forgot the blesser. And how easy is that to do day in and day out of our life? It's so easy to do. It is so easy to do. When you transition to the New Testament, when you view the New Testament, view it through this grid. Because if you were to ask an Israelite, hey, write out how you see God, he would say this, there's God and there's Israel. If you would ask a Pharisee in the time of Christ, hey, how do you view people? He would say, well, there's God and there's us. See, God has blessed Israel, chosen Israel, raised Israel up, set his affections on Israel, gave Israel the 613 Levitical laws, gave us the bloodline of Abraham, and only we can worship God. Everybody else is considered pork-eating pagan Gentile pigs. No offense, none taken. That's the view that they had. It was God and it was them. It was God and it was them. And when Jesus begins his ministry, he tries to crack this paradigm to show them, no, it's not God, Israel, God, Israel, God, Israel. It's God, Israel, nations, God, Israel, nations, God, Israel, nations. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. As Luke explains it, The first 12 verses, Jesus goes into the desert and is tempted by Satan as he begins his ministry. He leaves there, he goes into Nazareth, his hometown, and as was his custom, he walks into the synagogue. He obviously had some sort of reputation because they handed him the scroll of Isaiah to read. And so he unwraps the scroll and he reads Isaiah 61, 1 through 4. And people around him, the Pharisees, are astonished. They're like, who is this man? Where did he come from? And they're like, we know him. He's from here. He's Mary's son. And then Jesus begins his ministry by saying this paragraph in Luke 4. Now let me just read Luke chapter 4 starting in verse 25, the first paragraph of Jesus' ministry after he quotes Isaiah. Here we go. I assure you, 
there were many widows in Israel in Elisha's time when the sky was shut up for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elisha was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. As I read this passage, I think to myself, man, why did he start off with this? Because this is very difficult for me to understand living in, you know, 2015 as a white person in America. I read this passage and I'm historically disconnected. And so I'm like, this makes no sense to me, but it's in red. So it's important. So I need to understand this. And then I just kind of peel back the veneer a little bit and I get into the historical context and I go, oh my goodness, what a perfect passage for Jesus to start his ministry with. Let me explain this passage. Here's what he's saying. He says, Pharisees, in the days of Elisha the prophet, were there widows who were Jews in Israel who needed God's help? And of course, the answer the Pharisees said is, of course. There were many widows in Israel who were Jews that needed God's help. Oh, then why did God send the prophet 180 miles north to a pork-eating pagan Gentile female, a widow in Zarephath, a non-Israelite? And in the days of Elisha, the prophet, were there lepers in Israel that needed cleansing from God? Why, yes, in the days of Israel, there were many In the days of Elisha, there were many in Israel that needed cleansing from leprosy who were Jews. But God didn't cleanse the Jews. He sent Elijah 220 miles north to a pork-eating pagan Gentile enemy military officer Naaman the Syrian. See, they immediately realized what Jesus was trying to say was, even in the Old Testament, God used your prophets to bless the nations. And look at this next passage. All in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. Why? All in the synagogue were furious. How furious were they? Well, they instituted a law in Deuteronomy, a law in Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5, called the Lynch Law. This is the Lynch Law. It says this, if a prophet speaks a lie, he is to die immediately. And so, in Luke, they institute the Lynch Law. They take Jesus to the hill of a cliff, 13 stories up, and try to throw him off and kill him. Why? You're like, man, how bad is it saying that the nation should be blessed by Israel? It gets you killed. Like Jesus would have died at the end of his first paragraph of his public ministry had he not done a miracle and walked through the crowd unnoticed. Talk about the deep hatred to give your blessing to the nations. When Jesus mentions it in Luke 4, they try to throw him off a cliff. The further you read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the more angry the, the, the nation of Israel became. Listen when he raises Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Many people, because they'd heard about this miraculous sign of raising Lazarus from the dead, went out to meet him. The Pharisees said, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world is going after him. How mad were the Pharisees when the nations would, would receive blessing? They wanted it all for themselves. This is our, our God. This is our Israel. This is our stuff. Don't pass it on to the nations. 
And so what happens, Jesus actually will do a miracle, and the Pharisees will look at Jesus and say, you do that miracle because you are the prince of demons yourself. You cast out demons because you are Satan yourself. And starting at that point in his public ministry, Jesus will begin to pull the disciples away from the nation of Israel as a whole and begin to speak into them specifically. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 16, he takes the disciples to a hill. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. For the first time since Genesis chapter 12, something happens in Matthew 16. Jesus says, Israel, enough. I'm creating my church, and my church will be my hands and feet to the nations. Where Israel fails, the church will succeed. This is very important for you and I, because I used to think there was a church to help me in my community and my comfort. I thought there was a church where I went and I decided what I was going to do and how much I was going to get involved. There is a church because there is a pre-existing mission of God that began in Genesis chapter 12 with Abram. And it is yet to be fulfilled. And so God raises up the church to be his hands and feet to the nations. Again, where Israel fails, the church succeeds. You and I are a part of this church because the value is we are here for the purpose of taking the train of the gospel across the planet. And so everything we do is funneled into that. It's not like if you retire early, if your kids graduate on time with no debt, if, your ki- if you do this, if your job's going well. No, no matter what age or stage you're in, we are all to say, God, you have blessed me. How do I take that blessing, and we're all blessed differently in here, how do I take that blessing and funnel it all to your glory among the nations? That's why at the end of every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus gives a great commission challenge to the church. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, listen to this passage. It says this, Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28 is the first Great Commission text. The second Great Commission text is Mark 16, 15. He said, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. That's the second Great Commission text. The third Great Commission text is Luke 24, 46 through 48. Christ will suffer and rise from the dead. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. The fourth great commission text is John 20, 21. As the Father sent me, so send I you. These four are called the great commission texts. And I have to ask the question, why? After every gospel, why does it end? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the last thing Jesus says with this emphasis of go, go, go. And I think the answer is rather simple. Jesus remembers his history, and he remembers when the Israel was blessed, they forgot the blesser. And the church is going to do the same. The church is going to have a tendency when the church is blessed to turn inward, become high-maintenance, self-absorbed, and all about them. For the rest of the New Testament, the authors who wrote just took passages from the nation of Israel and brought them into the church. Listen to this one in Acts 13, 47. Acts 13, 47. 
This is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul is talking there to, to Antioch, and he says, hey, Antioch, the church, this is what the Lord has commanded us, the church, and then watch what he does. He goes all the way back to Isaiah 49, 6, and he takes a quote from Israel. Just like Israel was to take salvation to the ends of the earth through the Messiah, so church, that is now your role. I think this next passage in Galatians is the number one missions text in the New Testament. Look at how it summarizes the God-Israel nations, God-church nations. Watch this. He redeemed us. Who's Paul talking to? The church. In order that the blessings given to Abram, also known as Israel, might finally make their way to the Gentiles or nations. That's a one-verse summary of this graph. He redeemed us, church, in order that the blessings given to Israel might finally make their way to the nations. Do you remember what God told Moses on Mount Sinai about the nation of Israel being a royal priesthood? This is what he says in 1 Peter 2, as Peter's writing a letter to seven churches in Asia. 1 Peter 2 says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. He calls the church a royal priesthood. What does that mean? Well, a priest is a mediator or go-between. Well, who who did he set the church between? Oh, he set the church between God and the nations. 1 John 2, 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not only for our sins, for the sins of the whole world. The Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, where the mission of God begins and the the 70 nations are scattered, He takes the nation of Israel, raises them up to be a nation to bless all nations. Where Israel fails, the church succeeds, and the conclusion is in Revelation, from the Tower of Babel to the throne of God. Revelation 7, 9, and I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. However, if it's not, if you're not careful, this is how you'll view life. You'll view it through the grid of God, me, God, me, God, me. And this will be your life. How you raise your kids, it's all about you. How you read your Bible is all about you. How you choose a church is all about you. How you choose an occupation is all about you. How you choose a spouse is all about you. How you choose to tithe is all about you. How to spend your vacation is all about you. It's God, me, God, me, God, me. And it's easy to do. It's easy to do. Tonight uh, at 5 o'clock, I want to invite you back. We're going to look at what God's doing globally and how you can play a part. And so I just want you to come back tonight just to say, man, God, how can I play a part? A friend of mine named Andrew is from Kansas, and he, he told me the other day, he's like, Todd, in Kansas, crops are cash. Crops are cash. And I'm like, okay. He said, let me tell you what happened. He's like, man, I, well, he was one of nine kids. And he's like, man, we, I grew up on this huge farm and I went back uh, and, 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 and the, the neighbor, it was like time to harvest the crops. And, and they had this huge field and like it just, they weren't harvesting it. And it was like I, every day I drove by this field, I saw this crop ready to be harvested by my neighbor, but they didn't do anything. There was no tractors out there. There was no harvesting. And so finally, he, was, he told me, he's like, when he's driving by, he's like, harvest it. He's like yelling out the window. He's so frustrated because he knows crops are cash. And he says, God, the crops died. All of them. They never got harvested. 
And he was like checking out the paper. He's like Googling what happened to his neighbor. And he found out that the story was his neighbor hired out another, uh, another company because he was going away. He hired out another company to harvest his field. But the company was so big, had so many projects, they just forgot. $50,000 of crops wasted. $50,000. And my friend Andrew, he just looked at me and he said, A harvest without laborers is a tragedy. A harvest without laborers is a tragedy. And I just thought, man, how has God, He's given us a harvest. He's given us everything under the Godhead to be His laborer, to go harvest the the, the souls. But we get distracted we get unsure of our own abilities. We get other things going on. We get blessed. And we're like, whoa, Lord. God will reach the nations through the church. The question is, are you on board? And Father, that's our prayer this morning, is that we would be a people about your kingdom, that we would take the blessings that you've given us and not just keep them and collect them, but that we would extend them to every tribe, tongue, and people. And we ask this in your name. Amen.